anyone can be submissive to those who are good and gentle. But when your boss is a tyrant, well, that's another story. God's word teaches that you are to do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, whether you like your boss or not. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. As we move into chapter 6 of our study of 1 Timothy today, we see the Apostle Paul addressing the pastoral care of slaves or servants. Before we get fully immersed into this, let's join Pastor Carl as he gives us a little background on slavery at the time of Paul's writing this passage. In this paragraph, Paul is addressing Christian slaves who are in the church and the importance of their respectful service. Now understand that in the early church, there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That's about half the population of Rome. In many cities, there was more slaves than there were more free people. And if this were a normal first century congregation, half of you, maybe even more, would be slaves. You'd be servants. Now, slaves served in every capacity as doctors, lawyers, teachers, musicians, actors, painters, secretaries. A man could own a doctor's slave to care for his family. He could own a teacher's slave to instruct his children. Many of the slaves were incredibly wise, intelligent, and cultured, while at the same time it was very possible for many of their masters to be cruel and ignorant. The philosophy of Aristotle was a leading philosophy that permeated thought in the first century. He was a leader that shaped the way people thought. And Aristotle said this concerning slaves, there must be a distinct difference between the master and the slave. A slave is a tool, a living tool. And there is no difference between an inanimate object and a living slave. In Aristotle's thinking, a man's slave and a man's shovel was no different, except one was alive and the other was not. And that was the attitude that pervaded the first century. But what you find even more surprising when you come to verse 2 and other places in the New Testament is that Paul addresses Christians, masters, who have slaves. You say, how is that possible? How is it possible for a man to be a Christian to own a slave? Well, you must understand that when Rome conquered a surrounding and rebellious nation, rather than taking everyone as a prisoner of war and to keep them in some building... They made them slaves. And so slaves were typically assigned to families. Certain kind of slaves could even be purchased on the auction block. Others could be acquired in the settlement of a debt. And so it's very possible that a Christian could have been assigned a slave by the Roman government or maybe out of a heart of compassion even purchase a slave out of the auction block as a child or as a young man or as an adult to save him from a horrible fate. This is the way Rome dealt with rebellious nations. And instead of imprisoning all these people, they simply made them slaves. And the slave owners, in turn, were subject to Roman law for their watch, care, and treatment of those slaves. And so a Christian could find himself as a slave serving under a pagan, a non-Christian, or he could find himself serving under a believer. So here's the problem. Some of these newly converted slaves that had found spiritual freedom decided that that spiritual freedom must mean that they also have physical freedom and personal and political freedom. Now, Paul deals with that problem extensively in his letter to Philemon. But please understand, God's against slavery. Just read what the Holy Spirit said 
through Paul to Philemon, you know, God doesn't like slavery. And yet, on the other hand, for that matter, not just Paul, neither Peter, neither of the apostles or any of them advocate rebellion. Rather, they teach submission and respect. And yet, as you read these men in the New Testament that God used to pan it, look up here, don't look over there. When you read that, you discover God hates slavery. God knew that it would be through submission and through respect that holes would be born in this mountain of slavery and that God would use the gospel to totally wipe it out. Now, in these two verses, Paul tells slaves in the church how it is that they should deal with the problem. In one verse, he tells those who are serving non-Christians how they should treat their masters. And then in the other verse, he deals with Christians who have believing masters how they should treat them. First, how Christian slaves are to serve the lost. They are to serve the lost respectfully. A Christian slave is to serve the lost respectfully. Notice how the verse begins. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves. Now that statement alone indicates that there's a certain indignity involved in slavery. All who are under the yoke of slavery, a yoke in Scripture, is typically used of something that's quite negative, with the exception of marriage. But very often it's used in terms of an undignified relationship, of one that involves a submission that shouldn't really be there. So he says, let all who are under the yoke yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Now, I find it interesting that in this command, there's no incitement to rebel, to be uh, disobedient, to, to institute anarchy in the culture. And for this reason, a lot of people have assumed that Paul was soft. The liberal critic of our day said he was a mealy mouth who didn't take a moral stand firm enough against something that was inherently evil. But you cannot read the writings of Paul in the New Testament to know that he never condoned slavery. Already in the first chapter, he has linked man-stealers to whoremongers, perjurers, and homosexuals. But God gave Paul a different plan for dismantling slavery in the Roman Empire. I thought about it this week. I thought about the horror in our own day of abortion. Thirty years last month, We have suffered from abortion. 42 million Americans gone. We're moving into a a point in our nation as the culture grays. In the next five years, a huge number of baby boomers are going to begin to uh, retire and draw Social Security to already a failing fund and all these workers who ought to be here but who aren't here. All these dear, precious souls of God that God created that He viewed as humans from the moment of conception gone. 42 million babies in this country alone. And because we led the way as a nation, there are over 400 million babies who've been aborted worldwide since the institution of Roe v. Wade. And I thought about, you know, all that we've tried to do all the political maneuvering, all the picketing, everything we've done, not necessarily wrong. And here we are at the point in our nation where potentially we have people in power who may be able to overturn it. But I thought if we had taken that same energy and put it in prayer and the preaching of the gospel, how this whole thing could have been dismantled by now. 
Now, we cannot for one moment, as we think about slavery and the evil that happened upon African people in our nation and those who were silent, what a wicked sin to have been silent in the last century, in the 1800s. What an awful thing. And there were Christians who were silent. Then there were some who paid a tremendous price to speak against the evils of slavery. But the situation that Paul finds himself in, where over half the population is in slavery, necessitated a different approach. Slaves were to be a witness, first in the way they lived, and the way they honored and respected their master. And it was that kind of respectful submission and obedience that would give them the platform to convert the society. Half the people are slaves. If those that were Christians would simply submit with honor, they would find themselves in a situation where men would give ear to what they had to say. And so the more the gospel was preached, the more the laws on slavery began to change. By 50 AD, Claudius, the emperor, enacted that six slaves who had been deserted by their masters, if they recovered, they had to be freed. By 75, the emperor Vespian declared and wrote a law that a female slave could obtain her freedom if it was discovered that his master had prostituted her. By the time 90 AD rolls around and Domitian is in power, he forbid the mutilation of slaves. He forbid their execution and their sale for immoral purposes. And the more the gospel was preached, the more it changed, and eventually the whole thing imploded, it crumbled, and a whole new world began. So God is addressing here Christians who had unbelievers, pagans, to serve under. Regard their own masters. Let them regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. Now, since verse 2 distinguishes Christian masters, it's obvious in this verse that he's dealing with a Christian serving a pagan master. And they were to give that pagan all honor. Why? That God's name might not be blasphemed, number one, and two that the doctrine that he preached, the gospel, might not be discredited. You see, the pagans, if they had these slaves who were Christians, always rebelling, always disrespecting them, always saying, you wicked, no good bum, what are you doing involved in, in this thing called slavery? They would never listen to the message that they preached. They would say, oh, that Lord Jesus, whom you serve, is a good for nothing, and all he does is produce a bunch of rebels. So God knew that if their conduct was consistent with their doctrine, that men and women would begin to listen and that the gospel would potentially be believed. But I want to tell you, when your conduct is not consistent with what you say, people do not listen, and it's no different. Peter writes in like fashion, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now, in the true sense of the word, there are no Christian slaves today as we had in the New Testament. But what Peter and Paul wrote certainly have direct application on us today if you're an employee or certainly if you are an employer. We are to be submissive as employees to those who are over us, whether they are a great, kind Christian man or whether they are unkind pagan. Anybody work here for a bad boss? Pastor, you mean that two-legged rascal I have to report to every morning? Yeah, that fellow. God says, serve him with all respect, with honor. You see, it's easy to be submissive to the guy who's just a great boss. Anybody can do that. 
That's why our Lord said, and if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners, pagans love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Anyone can be submissive to those who are good and gentle. But when your boss is a tyrant, well, that's another story. God's word teaches that you are to do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, whether you like your boss or not. Paul wrote to the church at Colossus also on the same subject of slavery. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. Ask for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You know what? God's word teaches that you are to serve your employer as if you were Christ. You know, every employer ought to go down to the local employment office and say, give me one of them Christians. Man, they are the best workers I've ever seen. They go the second mile. They're respectful. They honor me. They treat me and serve me as if I were Jesus Christ himself. And God is saying that as a Christian, though you may have a supervisor who has wronged you or some unbelieving co-worker, God says that's not a reason to despair. It's all the more reason to work hard. It's important that we continue to submit, to show respect, because it gives credibility to our God and the gospel that we preach. You say, won't he take advantage of me? Yes, he may. He may very well take advantage of you. But God tells us that sometimes we're called to suffer for the sake of doing what's right. I know that flies in the face of everything this culture says. It says, stand up for your rights. Sometimes God calls us to follow the example of the Lord Jesus and to suffer unjustly, the Bible says. So that's how Christian slaves are to serve the lost. They are to serve them respectfully. But also Christian slaves are to serve the believer more earnestly. Look at verse 2. And let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them all the more. See, the temptation, if you had a Christian master, was to take advantage of that situation. Because you knew while on the one hand, legally, you were not equal under Roman law, spiritually, in God's eyes, you were. And so God affirmed this principle. For instance, when he earlier wrote the church at Ephesus, he said, with goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And then when Paul addresses the slave owners, he says, and masters, do the same to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no partiality with him. Paul is reminding them, while Roman law may be discriminatory, God's law is not. He's saying, look, as Christian masters, you're to give up threatening, knowing that you have the same master that's in heaven. The principle of slavery is not consistent with the gospel. It's not consistent. And these slaves knew it, especially if they had a Christian master, because a brother can't own a brother. It's impossible. The relationship is no longer of owner and owned. It's brother and brother. But he is reminding them, don't abuse that relationship. He tells them, and let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them all the more. As masters, they are worthy of all that much more honor honor as your brother. And he gives the reason why. Because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Timothy, you as a pastor, you teach that those slaves who have a Christian master 
serve them all the more because they're brothers, because they're believers, because they're beloved. Yeah, I've seen Christians take advantage of a Christian boss. They think, oh, you know, he's my brother. He'll understand. I'll just be an hour late for work. Or I'm going to cut out early. You know, I've got to go to Bible study. After all, he'll certainly understand that. God says, no, you don't take advantage of them. You treat them with all respect. You work even harder because they're brothers, because they're beloved. They are believers in the same Lord God. That's the kind of honor that dismantled slavery in the first century. And so with all authority, teach and preach these principles, Timothy. You know, as I've read through this entire section and thought a lot about it this week, I recognize that there is one concurrent theme that ran through every group that he addresses, and it was the theme of authority and submission. Whether it's how a younger man appeals to his elders, as a son would appeal to his father or his mother, or whether it's as a widow who's young, who takes God's command and remarries and goes ahead and raises children or in the manner in which a family member honors the Word of God and they submit to God's instruction to care for their relatives, or how an elder is monitored by other elders and accountable to them, or whether it's a slave who willingly submits to his master. Throughout this section, there's a theme of submission and authority that runs through it. That's true of really just about everything in life. Everyone is under some authority. Be it that of our parents, our teachers, our church leaders, our employers. You say, but I live on a deserted island and there's nobody but me. But you're still under God's authority. You cannot escape it. With that said, let me give you three applications that surface to my mind from this entire section of Scripture. Number one, submitting to authority is not a natural tendency. It's not a natural tendency to submit to authority. Submitting to authority as young men, as elders, as employees, whatever realm it is, it's not our natural tendency. Why? Because we're all sinful by nature. Even Christians, though we have a new nature, we've retained that fallen Adamic nature. And by nature, we want to kick against authority. We want to rebel. That's the way we are. But we who have had a regeneration, who have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus, we know that God's will is always best. So understand, first of all, submission to authority is not natural. Second, understand that submitting to authority is an essential attribute. While it's not a natural tendency, it is an essential attribute. We cannot have God's favor, God's honor, God's authority unless we're under authority. Do you think an elder can be honored if he's rebellious? Do you think a, a widow who's living in want and pleasure should be honored by the church? Do you think a slave will find God's approval when he kicks against his master's authority? Let me remind you of a passage that you know to use Peter's words. Let me stir you up by way of reminder. Matthew 8, remember that Roman army officer whose servant was sick? And when he had entered Capernaum, the Lord Jesus, the centurion, came to him, entreating him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. 
Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Here's a Gentile who knew more about how the kingdom of God operated than his own Jewish compatriot. And I want to tell you, there's a direct parallel in the word of God between faith and submission. Between the faith that God will entrust to you and your willingness to submit to authority. Notice again in verse 9, For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Underscoring your thinking, those two words, I too. The centurion is saying, Lord, I'm just like you. I have authority because I am under authority. This man was a centurion. He was an army officer. That meant he had a hundred men who were under him. And as an army officer, he'd say to the sergeant, go, and he'd go. He'd say to the lieutenant, run, and he'd run. But I want to tell you, if he ignored the general, if he said to the general, hang it on your big, I'm not listening to you, you think he'd have any authority? Of course not. He'd be in the brig if he had his life before day's end was over. The only way he could continue to have authority as an army officer was to be under authority that was over him. This centurion knew something about how the kingdom of God operated. He said, in essence, Jesus, I know that you have authority to heal from the Father because you, like me, are under the Father's authority. I myself am a man under authority. Now, don't miss this basic principle. If you don't get anything else, it's taught all the way through the Word of God. Do you want to have spiritual authority in the kingdom of God? Do you want to pray with authority? Do you want to teach with authority? Do you want to raise your children with authority? Would you like to experience the authority that God wants you to have in this world? You will never have it with a rebellious spirit. You will never be over until you are first under. Look, there are some mothers here this morning who have no authority with their children because their pattern is to kick against their husband's authority. There are many pastors who have no authority in preaching the word of God because they've rationalized it. They've not submitted to it. They've watered it down or not applied it in their own lives. They know what it says is true, but they refuse to teach it and preach it and obey it. Look, if you don't understand anything else today, catch this. Submission and authority are heads and tails of the same coin. Real authority flows out of a spirit of submission. And if you have a rebellious spirit, God will never give you authority. And there are many people who are not living lives of spiritual authority because in some area of their life they're not willing to be under authority. So understand this morning, submitting to authority, it's not our natural tendency. Everything in us, in our own old fallen nature, kicks against it. Number two, though, it's an essential attribute. But third and finally, submitting to authority is an evangelistic key. You will never be able to lead people to Jesus Christ as God desires you to lead them unless you have a submissive spirit. Now look, I meet Christians all the time who want to introduce people to Jesus Christ, but they are unable. Oh, they've taken all the courses on evangelism. They got all the illustrations memorized. They've hit all the scripture in their heart. But every time they share the gospel, it just seems to fall in deaf ears and no one's ever converted. Understand that God does not take his power and authority upon the individual who has a rebellious spirit. But when you have a spirit of submission, when you are willing to obey what you know, 
When you are willing to take the truth of Scripture and apply it with all of your heart, God is able to make you a vessel through whom he can work. And God is telling these slaves, look, you kick against your masters. You'll never win them to Christ. All they'll do is, number one, they'll blaspheme my name. Number two, they will not believe my doctrine, my gospel. Without a spirit of submission, we will never win a lost world. I mean, how can you ask an unbeliever who is not submissive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to submit and commit themselves to Him as King, Master, and Lord if you're not submissive to Him? It will fall on deaf ears and God's Spirit through you will be, in essence, not operating like He'd like. But I want to tell you, you obey what you know you love God with all your heart, your mind, your will. No compromise. You have a submissive spirit. Their mouths will be shut with criticism. And they will begin to ask you, what is it that you have? Are you a submissive person this morning? See, we all kick against God by nature. And the very first step of submission is to make Him the Lord of your heart. So many who want fire insurance, they want Him as Savior. They don't want Him as Lord. Of course not. They'd have to submit to Him. You cannot have Him as Savior unless you first embrace Him as Lord. Let's stand together for prayer. Now, our Father, I thank You this morning for Your Word for the chance to study it together with these saints. Father, I recognize that there's probably some people here today that are outwardly religious. They may even understand all the mechanics of the gospel. But there's never been a point in their life when they've received and submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord. Religious but lost. You said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? You said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. You said that on that day, many will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy, preach, do miracles, do all kinds of things in your name, and you will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice iniquity. We thank you that salvation is paid in full by the blood of Christ, but it is unattainable unless we submit to him as Lord. Unless we come in faith, and call upon the name of the Lord. Father, help somebody to do that today. Help them in simple humility to receive the grace of God. And Father, help us who know and confess the Savior in a true fashion to heed your word today and to apply it to our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets. Or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and asking for part two of Caring for Members in God's Church. It is message 1TM12. Don't forget Search the Scriptures is a listener-supported ministry. If you can help support the teaching and preaching heard on this and other stations around the country, please give us a call at 877-787-7478. Thank you. 
Tomorrow, Dr. Berge begins a look at the last part of the book of 1 Timothy. Join us then as we search the scriptures. <music>